This episode contains descriptions of death and mental illness. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. The following is from the music of Eric Zahn by H.P. Lovecraft. Dropping his pencil, suddenly he rose, seized his viol, and commenced to rend the night with the wildest playing I had ever heard. It would be useless to describe the playing of Eriksson on that dreadful night. It was more horrible than anything I had ever overheard, because I could now see the expression of his face and realized that this time the motive was stark fear. He was trying to make a noise, to ward something off or drown something out. What? I could not imagine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Haunted Places Ghost Stories, a Spotify original from Parcast. In this series, we reimagine ghostly tales from some of history's greatest authors. The following version is our own unique take. It may feel familiar in some ways and different in others. We hope you enjoy it. You can find episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This week, we're kicking off a month of stories about haunted artists. Creative minds have a reputation for being troubled, but the virtuosos in these tales are plagued by something worse than inner demons. Something more supernatural. Our first story comes from H.P. Lovecraft. Known for his pulpy science fiction and melodramatic horror, Lovecraft preferred grand, abstract narratives about alien worlds to the grounded stories published by many of his contemporaries. At first glance, it might seem like today's story, the music of Eric Zahn, is a departure from Lovecraft's usual style. It's a simple tale that follows a metaphysics student living in a shabby boarding house. But every night, strange music drifts down from the floor above him and into his room. The young protagonist becomes so fascinated by these eerie melodies and resolves to meet the mysterious man who plays them. What he finds is the same unknowable terror that waits at the heart of every Lovecraft tale. Not an evil cult or ghastly monster, but something far, far worse. Coming up, there's something strange about the Rue d'Ossay. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery 
smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Tristan packed the last of his things and looked around the empty room. He would miss this place. It was a small but pleasant apartment, one he'd spent much of his time cooped up in with his nose in a book. He was a student of metaphysics, the branch of philosophy that studies the nature of space, time, and consciousness. Most of his days were passed reading, forging through thick university texts. But now he was packing away each heavy tome. Tristan shut his carpet bag and stepped into the doorway. The sound of laughter drifted in from outside as he took one last look at the little room. When he'd first moved there, he didn't mind the merriment that came from the cafe below. It motivated him. He told himself that if he worked hard enough, eventually he could join the revelry downstairs. But he never did. He was always stuck a floor above, his mind submerged in the depths of a theory or abstraction. And after some time, the noise below his floorboards began to wear on him. As he delved deeper into the nebulous questions of existence, he began to feel small in the face of an unfathomable universe. Somehow, this diminished the allure of an elegant cafe. But his new outlook led to other issues as well. It was hard to get out of bed or show up to work when you knew that existence was an illusion. Because of this, he soon found himself unemployed. But now, since he couldn't afford to live here anymore, the cheerful sounds from downstairs would no longer be a problem. Tristan shut the door for the last time and lugged his bag down the hall. An elderly woman in a blue bonnet poked her head out of her apartment. Oh, you're moving. I'm sorry to see you go. Are you leaving Paris? Tristan shook his head. I'm just moving across the Pont d'Ariel to a building on the Rue d'Orsay. The pleasant expression on the woman's face vanished in an instant. Oh, my dear, that's no place for a boy like you. Tristan smiled uneasily. How do you mean? The woman glanced around nervously. I have heard strange things about that neighborhood. They say the people who live there are lifeless husks. Thinking this may be some local humor, Tristan gave an uncomfortable laugh, but the woman didn't stop. She grasped his arm and cried, You must listen! My own sister moved there. I never saw her again. Tristan yanked his arm away. His heart pounded as he stepped backwards. I'm sure she's okay. Probably just forgot to write. I'm sorry, but I must be going. The woman called out after him as he turned to leave. You won't come back. Then never come back. Tristan walked briskly past the parks and expensive shops toward the bleak warehouses on the other side of town. Finally, he arrived at the Pont de Réal. 
the old stone bridge went over a foul-smelling river to a steep hill crowded with dingy, soot-stained buildings. The Rue d'Ossay was the only street that climbed to the top of that precipitous slope. The houses alongside it leaned crookedly over the cracked paving stones. If he'd had a choice, Tristan might have listened to the old woman. But the advertisement he'd found had been like some kind of miracle. The room was half as much as anything else he'd seen. He'd be a fool to turn it down. As he walked down the rue, he noticed something peculiar about the inhabitants of that street. It seemed everyone he passed was exceptionally old. He shook off the strange observation and rounded a corner. Number 1508 was the last house before the ivy-covered wall that blocked off the road from the dizzying cliff beyond. Tristan took a moment to catch his breath and then knocked on the decaying front door. After several minutes, an elderly man with a knobbed walking stick answered. He smiled widely, stretching the thin skin of his face against his skull and introduced himself as Blandot, the proprietor of the crumbling boarding house. Tristan followed him up the creaking stairs, marveling that the ancient man could still climb such steep steps. Soon they came to a narrow, dusty room on the fifth floor. It wasn't the nicest place he'd ever seen, but it wasn't the worst either. Tristan said he would take it. Blando nodded and glanced up at the water-stained ceiling. I'm glad. It's mostly quiet, though you may hear Monsieur Zahn playing upstairs on occasion. Tristan furrowed his brow. Nothing too loud, I hope. Blandot shook his head. He plays an odd instrument. One that looks like a cello. The viol, I believe. I suppose it makes sense that he plays something so strange. He's an enigma, Ericsson. A German who likes to keep to himself. Tristan nodded. He liked this place in spite of its grim atmosphere, or perhaps because of it. The cheerful room over the cafe had felt incongruous with his dark moods, but here his melancholy didn't feel out of place. It seemed warranted. He gave Blando the first week's rent and the old man shuffled off, whistling vacantly down the hall. Tristan then unpacked his few belongings, then finally sank into the bed with one of his metaphysics texts. He was learning about Kant's synthetic a priori judgments, that is, knowledge that comes from a deep instinctual understanding of reality. Tristan rubbed his temples and tried to focus. Whatever be their origin or their logical form, there is a distinction in judgments as to Tristan looked up from his book. There was music coming from outside, most certainly some sort of string instrument. The tune was like nothing he'd ever heard before, a kind of orchestral spiral. The same phrase repeated over and over, growing more complex with each iteration. He felt like the music was pulling him toward it. Without thinking, he got out of bed and opened the door of his room. It was coming from upstairs. Tristan bit his lip and paused at the bottom of the staircase. He didn't want to disturb his new neighbor, but there was something so alluring about that music. He had to meet the man playing it. 
Against his better judgment, Tristan started up the stairs and knocked. The music stopped abruptly. A moment later, he was greeted by a white-haired old man in an ill-fitting brown suit. Tristan waited for him to say something. After a moment, the man pointed to his throat and shook his head. With a flush of shame, Tristan realized he was mute. Tristan stumbled over his words, trying to explain himself. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to... You must be Eric Zahn. I, I heard your music and... May I watch you play for a while? Zahn beckoned Tristan inside. The attic room was large and sparsely furnished. The enormity of the place made it seem particularly bare, as if each piece of furniture was an island in the middle of a vast ocean. Zahn gestured toward a dust-covered chair. As Tristan sat down, Zahn took up his instrument. The viol was large, built of shining cherrywood and topped with a carved finial shaped like a woman's head. It looked like it was the only thing in the room that had ever been cared for. Tristan studied the old man's face. Zahn's aged flesh bore the marks of misery. Deep wrinkles were etched across his forehead and under his hollowed eyes. His brow furrowed. Then, the old man began to play. Tristan frowned. The music was good, but it wasn't the same melody as before. It lacked that strange, compelling quality that had drawn him in. He listened politely until the song ended, then asked, Perhaps you'd like to play the piece you were practicing before? I think it went... Tristan tried to whistle the melody, but before he could get out more than two notes, the old man was upon him. He clapped a dry hand over Tristan's mouth, his eyes wide. Bewildered, Tristan pulled away, but did not continue the tune. The old man's face went red. He hurriedly took up his viol and began playing, pointedly ignoring Tristan's gaze. Tristan glanced around, unsure of how to process this strange behavior. He noticed a shuttered window along the far wall and had the sudden urge to open it. Maybe the glittering lights of the city would distract him from his discomfort. Tristan started toward the window, but before he could reach it, Zahn leapt up. The old man grabbed his arms and tried to drag him toward the door. Tristan shook him off and cried out, I'll leave if you like, but let go of me. Zahn released him and dashed over to a nearby table. He scribbled out a note and handed it to the young man. Tristan looked at Zahn's pleading eyes, then read what the man had written. Please forgive me. I suffer from certain nervous afflictions. For a moment, your company distracted me from them. If you are willing to stay, I can play for you. I just can't play that music. Tristan furrowed his brow. I won't stay unless I get some kind of explanation. Zahn gave a slow nod. He sat down at the table and looked up at the shuttered window. For a moment, his face twisted into an expression of unimaginable terror. Then he tore his eyes away and began to write. Tristan sat watching for what seemed like a lifetime. 
Then, finally, Zahn put down his pen. He looked over what he'd written and handed the sheets to Tristan. The young man sat back and began to read the messy handwriting. You ask for an explanation of my odd behavior, and I promise that you shall have it. But my story is complicated. I'll need to start at the beginning for you to fully understand. I was born in a small village in Germany. All throughout my childhood, I heard my mother talk about Paris, the great magnet for art, culture, and most of all, music. My mother loved music. She taught me to play anything she could get her hands on. I learned the flute, the harmonica, and the fiddle, but my favorite was the viol. I practiced constantly, learning as many pieces as I could, dreaming of the day that I traveled to Paris to play in a grand orchestra. Finally, when I turned 19, I packed my viol and booked a train ticket. Perhaps I was naive, but I'm glad I had that time. A brief moment when I didn't yet know what the future held. I managed to get a few auditions, but no one ever took me on. They always said I was too green or that my playing was unrefined. Somehow, I remained unfailingly cheerful. I'd spent my last penny on music lessons if I had to. I would do whatever it took. One afternoon, I was coming home from a particularly unfortunate audition when I heard the faint sound of music coming from the neighborhood across the river. I had been told strange things about that place. Perhaps you've heard them too. Macabre tales of residents so old they were practically walking corpses. I should have listened to those warnings, but I was young and foolish. I had no idea of the horrors in store for me. Coming up, Tristan learns the grim fate of Erich Zahn. Love. It's been the subject of poems, novels, music, and film. It's also been the driving force behind some of the most horrendous crimes in history. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. Join me for season two of Criminal Couples and meet the lovers who took their passion to perilous lengths. Featuring standout episodes from female criminals, serial killers, solved murders, and crimes of passion, this season of Criminal Couples gets to the heart of what makes two turn to a life of murderous crime. Some couples were set off by revenge or greed. Others were fueled by sex and drugs. All acted in the name of love. Discover the darker side of desire in season two of the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Follow for free and tune in every Monday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Tristan glanced from the papers in his hand to Eric's arm. The old musician was standing perfectly still in front of the shuttered window, staring at it with a strange, empty look in his eyes. Tristan was no longer sure he wanted to know the truth about his neighbor, but it was too late now. He took a deep breath and resumed reading. That strange melody across the river seemed to beckon me. If I could play music half as good, I'd have orchestras lining up to hire me. I had to know what it was. I crossed the bridge in the direction of the melody and climbed the hill until I came to the boarding house at the end of the road. There, in an illuminated window on the top floor, I could see the silhouette of a man playing an instrument. My heart skipped a beat. It looks like a viol. I wanted desperately to meet this musician, to perhaps learn something from his genius. But I was not bold enough. I started going there every night to watch the man in the window. I would stand outside, trying to work up the courage to go in and introduce myself. I never managed to do it. But one evening, another man took note of me. He introduced himself as Monsieur Blandot, the building's landlord. He asked if I was interested in a room. He had several available. The cheapest was in the attic. I frowned and asked the attic, but what about the musician who lives there? Nando looked at me like I was mad. He said, what musician? I looked back at the window. It was dark, the silhouette and the music both gone. Blando asked if I wanted to go up and see the room. At a loss for words, I just nodded and followed him into the building. If I was going to make sense of these contradictions, I needed to seize up room for myself. We climbed the stairs and Blandot unlocked the door. It was just an empty room. Even greater than my confusion, I felt a profound sense of disappointment. All this time I'd been trying to work up the courage to enter this room and it turned out there was nothing there. Blando went downstairs and I was alone. So alone. As I turned to follow the landlord, I heard faint music coming from the window overlooking the cliff at the end of the street. It was the same melody I'd heard outside. I grasped the shutter and an electric energy coursed through my body. I lifted the latch and flung open the window cover. Then I saw, no, can't explain, strange sights. It calls 
I cannot hear. Tristan turned the paper over. It went on like that for several pages, disparate words and half-thoughts, most of which were scratched out, as if Zahn could not put his experience into words. Tristan found the next coherent sentence and continued reading. I awoke on the floor some time later. I was surrounded by my own possessions, as though I had already moved into the room. My head ached and my throat was so raw I couldn't speak. As it turned out, I would never speak again. According to Blandot, three weeks had passed. I'd rented the room and gotten a job at a cheap theater. When I went to the theater, the members of the orchestra greeted me like an old friend. It was strange, but surely this was what I'd wanted. Employment as a musician, a home in this wondrous city. Still, something had changed in me. I was not the cheerful young man I'd once been. I felt aged. All the light had gone out of me. I had no reason to strive anymore. I still don't know who was playing in the window all those nights. There are times when I imagine it was me. Music is a temporal experience after all. When written out, the notes flow from left to right and cannot be played backwards. But perhaps I was playing against time, several bars ahead of the orchestra of reality. Of course, this is impossible. Some philosophical flight of fancy. After that day, I boarded up the window of the street and kept the other permanently shuttered. I want to ensure no one will ever look through it again. Tristan set down the pages and stared at the old man in dismay. Before he could say anything, Zahn handed him another note. This one was far simpler. It said that he was tired. Perhaps he could play for Tristan another night. Tristan promptly headed back to his own room. But as he reached the bottom of the stairs, he heard the sound of that eerie song beginning all over again. Zahn wasn't sleeping after all. He was playing again. Tristan's pulse quickened. He had a feeling that the old man hadn't given him the full story. Eric Zahn still had secrets to tell. In the following weeks, Tristan tried to visit Zahn several times, but the old man seemed to be avoiding him. Every night, that eerie music drifted down through the ceiling, and Tristan ruminated on Zahn's bizarre story. There were parts that just didn't make sense. If the music was what had made Zahn mute, then why would he continue to play it? And why keep living in that attic room if it caused him such distress? Of course, it wasn't just the story that haunted Tristan. Those melodies lived in his mind as well. He began to have nightmares where the ideas in his books took on a kind of life. Theories about the vast nature of the universe would send him spinning out into an inescapable darkness. Suddenly, 
he'd understand a terrible truth that went beyond his studies. That the void is coming for all of us. Tristan knew that these dreams came from the music, but he just couldn't tear himself away from it. He began leaving his room in the middle of the night. He'd creep up the stairs and sit for hours beside Zahn's door, listening. The music grew wilder and more intense each day. Finally, on an evening in late December, it reached an unprecedented level of hysteria. Tristan was in the hallway outside Zahn's room. The playing had been getting faster and more intense all evening until finally, a crash came from the other side of the door. Tristan leapt to his feet. He pounded on the door and yelled for Zahn. There was a groan and the sound of a window closing. Tristan knocked again and then Zahn flung the door open. His hair was sticking out in every direction and his eyes were wild. Zahn grabbed Tristan and pulled him into the room. He ran to the table and scribbled a note. Please don't leave. I have to tell you the rest of the truth. Quickly, before it's too late. Tristan looked at Zahn, concerned. He said, I'll stay if you need me to. The old man let out an unsteady breath. Then he began to write. Tristan sat uneasily in the dusty chair as Zahn's old metronome clicked away in the corner. Then, after nearly an hour of writing, Zahn suddenly sat up and pointed at the window. Tristan shook his head in confusion. Zahn scribbled a single word in large letters. Listen. Tristan fell silent. Sure enough, he could hear something coming from behind the closed shutters. Zahn seized his viol and began to play. Not the mundane music he had placated Tristan with before, but the unique melodies that the student had longed to hear. Now that he could listen up close, Tristan knew why the old man had been so reticent before. Zahn's face was terrifying. He was not playing for pleasure. He was trying to drown out a sound from outside. His face turned red, veins stood out from his temple, his jaw tightened. The horrible music from the window grew louder, becoming a shrill, steady tone. Zahn played faster, working himself into a frenzy. Sweat ran from his brow and his whole body whipped about like a flag in the wind. The shutters began to rattle. Then, all at once, they burst open and the windows exploded. Shards of glass flew across the room. Tristan held up a hand to protect his face and felt the fragments cut across his palm. Zahn was too far gone to notice. His eyes were glassy and he seemed barely conscious. All he could do was play blindly against the night. A gust of wind blew in, sweeping the pages of Zahn's story toward the open window. Tristan ran after them, snatching madly at the cartwheeling papers. But when he reached the window, he froze. Beyond the broken frame, there was nothing. No city lights, no view, only a whirling black void, a clamorous catastrophe of wind and noise. The candles in the room blew out, leaving them stranded in darkness and chaos. 
Tristan stumbled backward. He reached out for Zahn and felt the old man's wildly swinging arm still sawing madly at his instrument. Tristan screamed that they needed to leave. He groped blindly at Zahn's face and his blood went cold. Zahn did not blink when Tristan's fingers touched his open eyes. No breath came from his ice-cold lips. The man was dead, but he had not stopped playing. Tristan ran. He fled down the stairs, out the apartment, and across the bridge. Once he reached the other side, he turned, and his breath caught in his throat. One by one, the lights of the city beyond Rue were beginning to go out, extinguishing like distant candles. Tristan turned and kept running. He ran until he could barely breathe. He did not feel safe until he was on the most well-lit street Paris had to offer, back in reality. After that night, Tristan abandoned his study of metaphysics. He turned instead to engineering and mathematics, practical matters, ones where you didn't have to think about the nature of reality. Eventually, he became a cartographer. His focus was on mapping the streets of Paris. But though he spent endless hours examining the details of that city, he never again found the Rue d'Ossay. In a way, it was a relief, an excuse never to wonder about what was written on Zahn's lost pages. He'd always be curious, but he wasn't sorry for their loss. Some questions, he learned, are better left unanswered. Howard Phillips Lovecraft was a talented writer with a tragic life and a troubling legacy. Lovecraft began to manifest his lifelong struggle with mental illness when he was only 18. After graduating high school, he suffered a breakdown, stopped writing, and didn't leave his house for five years. Eventually, he emerged from seclusion and married a Jewish journalist named Sonia Green. But Lovecraft's relative stability did not last long. Upon moving to the diversifying community of Red Hook, New York, Lovecraft developed a hatred of the city's growing immigrant communities. Eventually, his marriage fell apart, perhaps due to his anti-Semitism, and Lovecraft retreated to Rhode Island, where he became something of a recluse. Lovecraft's bigotry was not part of his mental illness, but it certainly bore parallels to the other dysfunctional behaviors that affected his life. In the same way that his racism comes out in stories like the horror at Red Hook, his clinical depression shows itself in a tale like the music of Eric Zahn. As independent researcher and writer James Goho pointed out in a 2018 paper, Lovecraft presented Zahn as a particularly depressing character. He lives alone in an empty room at the top of a gloomy hill. Lovecraft described him as nervous, angry, bored, haggard, furtive, and afraid. There are few positive adjectives attributed to the character, except for one. Zahn's saving grace is that he's a virtuoso. 
in that sense, he's not so different from his creator. Zahn plays his viol to fend off the abyss. He channels his demons into music and his art is the only thing that can keep him from falling into the pit beyond his window. Of course, in the end, even that was not enough. Thanks again for tuning in to Haunted Places Ghost Stories. We will be back on Thursday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Ghost Stories and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free exclusively on Spotify. See you on the other side. Haunted Places Ghost Stories is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places Ghost Stories was written by Zoe Louisa Lewis, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Alex Garland, fact-checking by Hayley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. It's been said that love is a many-splendored thing. That is, until it's not. In season two of Criminal Couples, discover true stories of couples who turned their love lives into a life of crime. Lies and deceit are just the beginning. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Criminal Couples. Catch new episodes every Monday, free and only on Spotify. 